This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Christina Kuzmik, welcome to Viral Jesus. I just sunk to the floor and sobbed. And it just hit me, even when I feel like I have nothing, I have something to offer. I'm not worthless. And from that day, I never contemplated suicide again. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. As a professor of communication and rhetoric at Colorado Christian University, I spend most days talking to my students about the power of your own voice and using your voice to empower, encourage, uplift, and reflect. And at its heart, that's what Viral Jesus is all about. In every episode, we'll talk to Christian practitioners of communication and social media. But since the classroom is my first love, we'll also take a quick minute to dig into some of the fundamental concepts of the field. Today, let's look at the pratfall effect. The pratfall effect is a phenomenon in social psychology that essentially says when a confident person makes a mistake or a pratfall, he or she becomes more likable. In 1966, social psychologist Elliot Aronson conducted an experiment to test this hypothesis that making mistakes actually increases likability. So for his study, a panel of 48 students from the University of Minnesota listened to tape recordings of contestants who in reality were actors, trying out for a college quiz bowl team. In one of the tapes, the contestant accidentally spilled a cup of coffee on himself, and in the other, he didn't. The panel of students perceived this individual who spilled the coffee as more likable than when the same individual didn't. The pratfall effect says, when I see you as confident but also human, I actually like you more. Our guest today is someone who has no problem being honest about her messy. Today, we talk to Christina Kuzmik. Christina Kuzmik is literally the mother of all mom bloggers. She was discovered by Oprah in 2011 and is known for encouraging women to hold on in their darkest hours. She is a content creator with over 1 billion views and author of the best-selling book, Hold On, But Don't Hold Still. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show with us, Christina. I have been following you literally for like five years. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> time. So when I first started a blog I do with my best friend called On That Wife, you were like the vision or the poster child of what we wanted. You were the aspirational brand that we wanted to be. So I wanted to read something to our listeners from you. I hope that's okay. You posted this on Instagram yesterday from your book, Hold On, But Don't Hold Still. And it says this, my ex-husband slept over. 
Then in the morning, my current husband and my ex chatted in the kitchen about football and how equally awful their teams were. As we prepared for breakfast, Ari chased my ex with a leaf blower while Philip helped Matea put the presents she made for everyone under the tree. Luca was back and forth between both men debating Nirvana versus Pearl Jam. It was Christmas morning, and if aliens had stopped by my house for a visit, they would have thought post-divorce parenting here on Earth is a piece of cake. So first of all, I want to congratulate you on your best-selling book, Hold On But Don't Hold Still. And I'm thrilled about this book because I think you have such an important story. Like I said, I've been following you for I think it has to be like five years now, four to five years. But I had to read that for everyone because I think it encapsulates why millions of people have so connected to you. And I think personally, it's because you offer hope. How, what would, how would you encapsulate your presence? What would you say it is that people keep coming back to your page for? You know what? Um, and I write about all this in the book, but I, I went through some hell um, years ago and got to, I mean, when I say hell, got to a place where I seriously considered taking my life. And I had two little kids at the time. And I write about that honestly in my book and that, you know, the judgment that even comes with that, which is why I didn't even share that publicly till recently. Um, and so because of that hell I walked through and where, you know, getting out of that hell, um, I have always felt that, my purpose in life is to be for others what I needed when I was at my lowest. Yes. And so when I started creating my videos, um, sharing things on social media, I never thought it would turn into a big career. I just thought if one person who has that thought in their head or who's just struggling with parenting dilemmas or whatever, you know, if, if, that, if I can reach one person and give them some hope, like you said, um, that that's it. That's my goal. So what I found through posting things is that there are a lot of really, really hurting people in the world. Right. I mean, I think we all have pain, but there is there are people who you would never imagine. I mean, I've gotten emails or messages on Facebook or Instagram from people who are like telling me about the hell they're walking through. And I click on their profile and man, does their life look perfect. Man, does it look perfect. You'd wow. never even know what was happening in that scene. So um, I, and I still wow. now, like everything I create, I always think, what did I need when I was in my lowest? I needed hope and humor. Wow. That's what I would put out. In the book. So what do you think about that? You just brought up this point, right? That we leave, we live these two dual lives often between what we're posting. Of course, this is like the curated generation and yeah. we present ourselves as we want to be rather than how we actually are. Do you think that that is part of why we feel so isolated and lonely or what do you think? Do you think that that is part of the problem? Yeah. And, and also we get sucked to even though we know, well, not me now because I just post all my stuff, but <laughs> even, even the people posting everything perfect, they know that's not their truth. And yet they still believe it's other people's truth and they compare themselves, right? We're, we're so good at comparing and competing. And I wish I had their marriage and I wish I had my, I wish my kids sat so perfectly for a picture. Right. Of course, those kids were bribed with a lot of candy to sit perfectly. And there was a lot of tantrums and screaming and the mother <laughs> losing her patience. But we, and we know that deep down inside, we know that because we're also posting the perfect picture, right? And yet somehow we fall into the trap of comparing. And I think the other thing is that I don't know. I don't know if it comes from 
strict parents were expecting too much. I don't know if, if it comes from media, the world or wherever, but we exhaust ourselves chasing perfection and chasing all this like unattainable stuff. You know, it's like the expectation we set for what a marriage is going to look like and what parenting is going to look like. And we, when we can't live up to that fantasy, we feel inadequate. And then it's my fault. What's wrong with me that my kids aren't perfect? What's wrong with me that my marriage doesn't look right. like that person's on social media? And now there's shame attached. Well, now I'm so ashamed that I'm only going to post the good stuff because I don't want anyone judging me. And I think that's why it's so refreshing to see truth, to see the messiness. I mean, I love a good mess. There's humanity in a mess. A mess is attainable, right? <laughs> and so I think that's why people, when they see authenticity, they're drawn to it. It's like we're craving it. We're, we're literally thirsty for it. And I would agree with that. And I think that you are somebody, and you know, as as just a woman, sometimes it can be hard because we place all these extra pressures on women. She can be pretty, but not too pretty and funny, but not too funny and smart, but not too smart. But, and, and of course, this is just me, but I feel like you do an excellent job at coming across just so likable. Like you just want to root for you. And I do you think that's part of it is because- you're able to talk about the messiness. So it's okay for me to like you and it's okay for me to root for you. I mean, first of all, I have some serious haters. I just do you? I was going to ask that. Oh, do you really? I mean, I'm not joking. I get negative comments daily. I get messages, everything from one of my favorite was, and this was, this was the funniest part was this person's profile picture said, I love Jesus. Okay. So just keep this in mind. <laughs> right. Viral mind. Jesus, right? That's what yeah, we do. I, Spread I God's Jesus. message. <laughs> yes. I love Jesus was the profile picture. And this person went on my Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, just to make sure I got this message and said, you know, you're known for being honest and authentic, but you're lying to your followers. It's obvious that you were born male. It's obvious by your jawline. And of course, immediately I'm oh, going wow. to the mirror like, what's my jawline? <laughs> like, do not have another insecurity, lady. Like, I got, I got my own, you know, pile of insecurity. Anyway, so it's everything from that kind of craziness to really, you know, when I first admitted that I had been suicidal at one point, somebody actually said, and it was the first comment I saw in that post, and somebody wrote, well, you should have just done it because from what I see, <gasps> you're a horrible parent and a horrible woman. and and I know I've done this long enough to know that that is their suitcase of pain they have that they are trying to hand to me. Right. And I used to be like a freaking bellhop picking up everybody's luggage. And now I stop and I go, is this suitcase mine? And I need to sit down with the therapist and deal with some stuff. Or is this somebody else handing me their suitcase? Cause I'm not picking up other people's suitcases anymore. So anyway, but that's first of all is I do have a lot of haters, <laughs> but I think the reason people, um, like I find sometimes when I share a successful thing or I share something that might be unrelatable to people, I'm almost like shy to do it. And what I find is that right. the people who have seen me through my hell or who have, you know, read my book or know my videos and know I've walked through hell, they, it feels like they're rooting for me. And I think they're rooting for me because they're rooting for right. themselves because if there's nothing more special about me right. than anybody else. So if I can stick around, right. even when it's really hard, if I can find joy, if I can find love again, anybody can. And that's the truth. So where would you say your story starts? Where does your story start? I, I don't know. I, I, sometimes, sometimes I feel like my story starts every morning when I wake up. It's a new story. Okay. Um, 
Mm. You know, I feel like I, I, I want to, as cheesy as it sounds, I want to make the most of what is now. And I, I, I try so hard even with what I do to not fully constantly live in the past because a lot of people want to hear about the past. Right. Um, and also not get trapped in what's next, what's next, what's next. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like every morning is a new beginning for my story. What do you think you are? Are you naturally a more futuristic thinker or do you, is your natural tendency to think about the past and want to dwell there? So I'm a re- I, I actually have a chapter in the book called Recovering Pessimist because I'm definitely a recovering pessimist and I will be in recovery forever. I don't think I will ever naturally wake up in the morning and just think the best. Um, <laughs> so I, I haven't, I always have to work on it. But um, because of that, I was so obsessed with worry, whether it was worry about what will happen in the future or the past repeating itself. It, I was, I was so consumed with worry. I actually had ulcers in my early twenties because of how stressed and worried I was at all times. And, um, and I'm doing a much better job at replacing worry with hope. And I'm not talking about the cheesy, cute magnet on a fridge kind of hope where you sit and, you know, hope and pray, wishing and hoping. I'm talking about that proactive hope, <laughs> not allowing the few things that are completely mm. out of my control to control me completely. And just focusing on what can I do with what I have right now? What can I do? Um, and also, you know, as much as we all want to be our best and all that, reminding myself that my best isn't going to look like, look the same every day. Sometimes my best is going to look like barely rolling out of bed, staying in my pajamas all day, serving chips and salsa for dinner. Right. But you know what? That's the best I can do that. Right. Day. And so all those things right. help me sort of not get too obsessed with the future or not, you know, dwell in the past. So you had kind of alluded to this earlier. I want to go back. You said that like essentially that you're still shocked sometimes to see where your career has taken you. And so this is one of my favorite questions to ask people that, you know, general public would perceive to be really successful where they wish they could go is, did you know? Like, did you always know that there was some type of thing that God had for you that he was leading you to, or were you totally shocked by it? So to be honest, deep down inside, I... I felt a passion that I couldn't really define. I don't know that I could even tell you what I was passionate about, but there was like a fire inside me. And I mean, okay. my mother would probably tell you that fire was inside me literally since I came out of her womb. Like there was okay. a fire inside me. And what I got stuck in is that, and I write about this in my book too. And I actually, I'm not a musician, but I just wrote a song about me, about this that we're releasing next week. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I was always told that I was too loud, too hyper, too talkative, too sensitive, too curious. And when you're told you're too, 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 too much, it leaves you feeling like you're not enough. And so I had this fire inside me, but I almost started to interpret it as a negative thing. And also, mm. you know, and so for example, as a kid, I started doing theater and all of a sudden that was labeled as she just wants attention. Oh, she just loves attention. So everything, all this stuff inside me, there was all this like negativity and all these labels thrown on it. And eventually I got to the point where I realized all of the labels that have been put on me that have been labeled as my greatest weaknesses were actually my greatest strengths. 
Because now mm. think about it. I, this career, this whole thing that happened came out of me being too loud and too hyper and too sensitive and too curious right. and all those things. And so I think I, I think if I'd had a better, more encouraging support system, um, I probably would have known from child, like I'm going to do something big, but because it was so mm. just like smashed down, it took until I was an adult and I actually saw things turning into something big to go, Oh my gosh, I remember, I remember having that feeling. I remember. And, and I really do believe, um, that what I do in a way, I feel like, I almost feel like it's like a mission field or something. Like, I feel like this is my calling. No, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I really, I feel right. that so deeply. I feel like I was called to turn that pain into a purpose, which I think we all, we all got pain and we can all turn it into a purpose. Um, and I was called to, again, be for others what I needed when I was really struggling. So what was the moment for you when you realized... I think my life is never going to be the same. What was the moment career-wise, success-wise, where you felt like, I think I just had my moment? So I actually had two, but the first one was kind of false. Okay. <laughs> so um, years ago, the way I first started, actually, I, I made some cooking videos because there's this whole story and it's too long to get into right now where um, I started cooking for strangers when I was at my lowest and it saved my life. And that's a chapter in my book called Wednesday Night Dinner. I remember seeing that video. I think okay. that was the first video of yours that I saw is you would have people over, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just say, okay, I can't control my own life, but I can give somebody a dinner. I, yes. yes. No, please tell the story because it's so good. Okay. I'm going to try to say like really short. Okay. So basically, yeah. I'm at my rock bottom. I'm literally just like, I'm at that point where I see, nobody knows about this, but I have a list of pros and cons of how my suicide would affect my children. And the pros wow. list, meaning they'll be better off without me, is longer. And wow. one night, I just I was crying, and I just had this moment of, okay, I'm either going to do it, or I'm going to fight for my life. And I thought, the, and, I, and I felt very stuck, and I felt very um, self-consumed. Because when you're so depressed, the pity and all of that, it just becomes self-consumed. You're like obsessed with your own agony. And so I thought the only way to get out of that thing is to do something for others. So I end up all excited with this plan. I start calling local, you know, homeless shelters and hospitals and soup kitchens. And I'm like, I want to come volunteer. And I'm thinking, this is my ticket out. I'm going to feel like I've, I'm worth something. And I get rejected by every place because <laughs> I have a two and a three-year-old and I can't afford a babysitter. And I'm going to have to bring them along with me because anytime they're with their dad, oh, I'm working to be able to pay my bills. And so you already feel like a loser. Then you get rejected from volunteering. So that takes your loser status to like a whole nother level, level of losership. <laughs> and so I just thought, okay, is there anything, is there anything that I still feel confident in when I feel like I have nothing, nothing to offer? And the only thing I could think of is I know I can cook a great meal. I know I can cook a great meal. And then of course, all those human negative thoughts of so what? Every, a lot of people can cook. What makes you special, Christina? And I just decided to shut that down. And impulsively, I wrote an email to all my friends in my area. And I said, every Wednesday night, I'm going to feed people. I have no idea how, but I'm going to feed people. So if you know someone who's, you know, super broke and needs a meal, or maybe it's someone who has way more money than me, but they're just new to town and lonely. I don't care what the need is. Bring them over. Now, I was living in a tiny little apartment, had a roommate, and my kids and I shared a little room. It was tiny. So first Wednesday night rolls around. I go to the 99 cent store. We were really tight at the time. And I buy just like, canned tomato sauce and pasta. I literally spent a few bucks and I make this pasta dish. And by the end of that evening, long story short, I end up feeding over 30 people 
in an apartment that was, I'm going to start crying again. Um, in an apartment that was so small that people were literally holding their plates outside. They couldn't even fit in my little living room. Wow. And I just remember almost like a movie scene after the last person left, I just sunk to the floor and sobbed. And it just hit me. Even when I feel like I have nothing, I have something to offer. I'm not worthless. And from that day, I never contemplated suicide again. It just those, and I kept doing those dinners. Um, but anyway, eventually that led to me, uh, I mean, years later, me deciding to put some cooking videos out there and I get discovered by Oprah. That's a whole nother really long story. And Oprah gives me my own show, cooking show. And that was the first moment, what you were asking earlier, that I was like, oh my gosh, my life is about to change. Like Oprah's hugging me, giving me a car and giving me a TV show. Are you kidding me right now? But false alarm. Here's what happened. I get the cooking show. And this was not Oprah's fault. Oprah was off filming a movie or something. But the TV producers decided to make me perfect. I had to be the perfect mom in the perfect kitchen, making perfect food. And I fought them all the way through. But I was not confident enough at the time because this was my first big thing after I right. just been sleeping on the floor. I was not confident enough to really speak up and say, this is not authentic to who I am. And this is not helpful to that mom who is now sleeping on the floor and might watch me on TV. I want to I be real. But I didn't have the guts to say it that way. And so walked away from that, had a bunch of meetings with Food Network and all these people. And everybody wanted me to be an expert. Everybody wanted me to be perfect. And I just basically thought, that's it. I walked away from all of it. And then I think it was like three or four years later, started making my parenting videos and thought, I had my 15 minutes. I don't need that. I need to be real. I'm just going to put this stuff out. It'll be a little hobby. Who cares? And then the second time that I was like, oh my gosh, is I woke up to a bunch of text messages that Ashton Kutcher had shared one of my videos. And I was like, wait, what? And then a week later, People Magazine called. And that one felt so much better because I was getting recognized or whatever you want to call it for being a hundred percent me. Here is all my stuff, the stuffiest of stuffs. This is, this is what it is. And that felt so much better. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. So for you in some ways, like they always say, it's never an overnight thing. 
it kind of was for you. Well, it kind of changed overnight. It it felt very very fast, especially the Oprah time. That right. was crazy. But um, but here's how I see it. So I'm from Croatia, and I moved to America when I was a teenager. And I do a lot of a lot of times Croatian magazines or TV station where they'll want to interview me because it's a small country. So when someone makes it, it's like a really big deal, right? And one of the questions I get asked all the time is, "Are you? Do you feel like you reached the American dream?" And I just don't ever want to look at the American dream or success or anything as like the end, the, 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 this goal that we reach and that's it. Because then what happens to the passion and the work and the, like, I'm really passionate what I do. So I don't ever feel like I've reached this thing. I'm always, I feel like it's more like this and I'm always trying to find new ways to reach out to people. I'm working on a children's book now. And again, like I said, I wrote a song. So I'm, I feel like there's no end goal here. When I die, then most likely I won't be able to make videos anymore, right? But until then, <laughs> I, I, I want to just I want to just keep going. And I also just, I want to say this really fast. I don't, I, I work very hard at not getting focused on the numbers. Because I feel like those, the okay. numbers and the how many followers and how many views, that's going to destroy your passion and your, your, like the, the core of why you're even doing this so quickly. So I really try to stay focused on why am I doing this? Not, you know, oh my gosh, so many people. Right, right. Who, who mentored you? Did you ha- ever have a mentor? Um, no, but I would say that honestly, I, if I think of like who really inspires me and has taught me the most through all this, it is nobody whose name you will ever see anywhere. It is those followers of mine who are at the rock bottom. I mean, that is Mm. really, those are the people I look up to the most. I wish I had realized at the time when I was struggling, how incredibly strong I was. And I see them, I see, they don't see their own strength, but I see it. And, and I see how they're just like, fighting. I'm like, man, if they can fight through that, I can, you know, I can draw inspiration from that and I can fight through anything too. So that's, I really, I look up to those people more than anything. I see you as, as somebody who really mentors Mm. her people. I mean, I, I see that in you as somebody who definitely started out and was watching you. So to hear you say that, that you consider them your mentors actually is so on brand for you and makes so much sense. I I love that. So who do you think helped you realize, were there outside people who helped you realize your full potential or was that not until you had strangers doing it? Did you have anybody in your life to say, Christine, look you in the eyes, grab your face and say, Christina, I see this for you. I mean, honestly, my husband. Okay. Um. So when I so basically the Oprah thing started off with, she was having this, holding this auditions for reality competition to find the next TV star. And millions of people had applied. And I was like, do I send in one of my little cooking videos? It's so silly. It's not like Oprah's going to call me. I'm a nobody. <laughs> and my husband looked at me and goes, Christina, you're going to win this. Like you're not only going to you're going to win this. And he wasn't being like cheesy. He really, I mean, that was what he fell in love with. He fell in love with my passion and my creativity and all of it. And he believed in it before I even believed in it. Um, so he was really my cheerleader through all of it and, and still is, you know, like 
He has a full-time job and the amount of times he has sacrificed to make sure that I can shine, that I can pursue my love is amazing. Even before COVID, I was touring and he, I mean, the amount of sacrifice, we don't have a full-time nanny or anything. The amount of times he sacrificed for me to be able to go on tour. And I think it's because he knows why I do it. You know what I mean? He knows that it's not a, right. I just really want to be on stage. You know, he sees every day right. how I am about people and my followers and trying to reach that person who is struggling. And he really, he's been like the most amazing cheerleader. He's a way better human than me, by the way. Isn't that great? When you yeah. find somebody, I always, I do, I tell my students, like I, when they say like, how do you know, or what are you looking for in the one? I say somebody who just makes you want to be better yes. because you see it in them. Yes. I love that you just said that. What would you say to, so I'm really passionate about college students. That's the demographic that I serve. What would you say to a college student right now who is a content creator, you know, they're working their job and they're trying to edit their podcast on the weekend for two listeners. What do you say to them? Stay focused on the why. Stay focused on mm. what you're really, that passion. Because again, like I said a second ago, the numbers and all of that will become a distraction. And without, without even realizing it, you are all of a sudden going to find yourself in a spot where you're like, why am I even doing this? There, it can be so stressful. It, there are so many people put creating content. Do not compare. Do not compete. You are a unique human being and what you have to offer, nobody else can, not in the way you do it. I mean, the amount of times people have, I, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't know if she'd want me to, but there is a mom blogger, vlogger, author who years ago at a conference said to me, you know, I want to put stuff out there, but I don't know. There's so many people doing this. And I was like, just focus on what you have to offer. This woman now, has twice as many followers than me. She has a, an incredible, wow. she's amazing. All she had to do was focus on her unique thing. And it's so easy. I mean, again, do not compare, do not compete. Stay focused on why you're really doing this. And by the way, don't do it for the numbers. Don't do it for the fame. Don't do it for the money because that is not going to lead to long-term success. It might be successful for, for a little bit. It will not lead to long-term success and you will not feel fulfilled. Have you ever, do you remember those times that you put something out that you're like, I, I remember those moments where I would put something out that you're so proud of. And then you only get a few views or a few likes on you're like, oh, I suck. Like, oh, this isn't for me. How do you get back up and post something again? Um, you know what? I've always, this is, this is what helped me early on. Because again, I didn't start off with having millions of views. Right. I had like three and <laughs> one of them was my mom and one of them was my husband. Um, what I always think is like, if I was in a room of people, right, and there was 50 people there and I shared something and it helped those 50 people, that's incredible. Right. But we see 50 likes as opposed to all oh, these people have millions and we're like, that's it? But you have no idea. And out of those 50, you have no idea how this may have impacted or changed somebody. You might never find out. Maybe someday you'll get an email about it, but you may never find out how much it's impacting. So again. Do it not because of the number of people that will see it, but do it because it is what's in your heart. You have to share it. And then just believe that the people who need to hear it will hear it. I love that. Do it for people, not likes. Christina, where can people find you? Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, uh, all at Christina with a K, K-U-Z-M-I-C. 
Thanks, Christina, for joining us for this episode. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral. And this is where I scour the Viral Jesus hashtags and all of our social channels and look for a message from someone who maybe you haven't heard of yet, but you should certainly be following as they grow viral. Today, we talk to Aaron Duvall. He's the teaching pastor at Victory Highway Wesleyan Church in Payne Post, New York, and someone who has become an online pastor to many via Twitter. Well, I am so excited. We have Aaron Duvall here on our Growing Viral segment. And Aaron and I met, I think it was last March. But Aaron, I was wondering, because I think you do this really, really well. Can you tell us what you think pastoring looks like or what is the role of social media with pastoring? Because you're a pastor as your full-time job, but you also kind of run like an online social media ministry. What does that look like? How do you do it? The first piece for me was a change of language. Um, when you think about media, right, you think about basically a message going one direction. And I think this is how a lot of churches think about social media. How do I get my information from point A to point B? How do I get it off of my notebook mm. onto your notebook? Um, and I, it was a shift for me of saying, uh, a friend of mine, Sarah, and I talked about this, moving from social media to social ministry is a shift. It's not just, I'm going to put a sermon out there mm. or I'm going to put my thoughts out there. There's a lot of people that have way better content than I'll ever have. And they're putting it all over the place and people are consuming it. Um, But they're not, right? They're not pastoring those people. Um, And so it was a move from thinking social media, of me trying to get a message out to people, my thoughts, my whatever, my insights, which are very small anyway, to thinking of it as social ministry, especially once COVID started, um, because it just sort of opened up a lot of doors. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, What's your handle? Uh, I, you know, there's been a lot of debate how to pronounce my handle um, because most people call me Duval, but when they see me on Twitter, it's RevDove. And so I get everything from Dove to Duv to what, but it's R E V D U V. Um, and then my wife, after they started calling me Rev Dove or Duve, she was Duvet. Um, so it worked. <laughs> so yeah, on Twitter. Um, and then uh, if you look up Victory Highway Wesleyan Church on YouTube or on Facebook, uh, all of our sermons and discipleship material and stuff are on there. We hope you will not rest until you find Aaron Duvall and support his voice, his ministry, and his work. Join me in supporting his growing viral community. Viral Jesus is brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Join us next week as we talk to Doug Bursch, the author of Posting Peace, who will teach us why social media divides us and what we can do about it. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now 
at morect.com equip.